0: Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 200 of my podcast beekeeping short and sweet. How can you profit from your beekeeping season? Not specifically in a financial way but just making your season successful. This was the topic of a talk that I gave this week and I thought I would share some of the tips from that on this auspicious occasion of my 200th podcast. short and sweet a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span a beekeeper in fact just like me i'm delighted to say that our podcast is now sponsored in part by simon the beekeeper making beekeeping an affordable hobby for everyone simon the beekeeper provides the best value beekeeping equipment possible along with a super fast delivery service the bees won't wait so their customers don't have to either visit the website at www.simonthebeekeeper.co.uk Hi everyone, welcome to my 200th podcast. It's been quite a journey so far. Thanks so much for sticking with me each week and I hope that you're enjoying the trip as much as I am. It appears my offerings to the weather gods last week weren't quite sufficient. Didn't it get really windy? I'm grateful that we didn't suffer any serious damage, but the winds did manage to send a couple of polynukes flying, like the tumbleweed that you see on TV. The great thing about polynukes is that they're so light. It also happens to be a major drawback when you're facing high winds and forget the straps are on to keep the roof in place, not the nuke fixed to the stand. I can only imagine how the poor bees must have felt. One minute upright, and the next being bowled over and rolled and rolled for what looked like about 30 or 40 meters up the slope of the apiary. It's a very exposed site here and I should have known better really, but the good news is the straps on the nukes did a good job at holding them together so that the entire nuke tumbled up the grassy strip completely intact and when I got there, the farmer had stood them upright and put the hive stand on top to prevent them from being blown over again. I hope you all managed to take care of your hives and that you've not suffered any major damage also. It does look like the winds have dropped back a little now. Various named storms have been blowing across the UK and as the weather forecasters were saying in the TV today, a ridge of high pressure is going to calm things down a little for the next few days. Longer term, it does look like fairly settled but chilly weather for the beginning of March. Yep, it will soon be March, and our active beekeeping season will feel very much closer because of it. Time to stop dithering and get on with the plan. Of course, you'll all have a plan, though. I've been suggesting it to you for some time, and you don't want me to continue nagging you to sort it. In true practice what you preach style, I do have a plan but it's got quite a bit of flexibility built into it because of our expansion plans. This was part of the discussion that I had this week when I visited the Sleaford Beekeepers Association to give a talk. My first public face-to-face talk for what I think has been over two and a half years at least. I actually led a Zoom meeting for my local association because I was reluctant really to step out and meet a room full of beekeepers. But eventually, I guess we have to allow life to get back to normal. And although I'm hosting a few more virtual meetings on Zoom this winter, I think we're almost at the point of returning to the meeting rooms for real. The good thing is most associations will switch to their teaching apiaries for open air gatherings through the spring and summer months which will allow us all to get used to meeting in person again before we hit the halls and meeting rooms once more in the autumn and that is a long way off as yet. So back to my talk this week. Tips and techniques to make this season a profitable one for you the beekeeper. Hopefully, if I practice what I preach, it will be a profitable season for me also. Here I have to hit the pause button and just explain that I'm not talking sales of honey or financial profit. I suspect that will come if you have a plan, follow some of the tips I'm offering up, and we get a decent spell of good weather through this year. But what I am suggesting is there are things you can do to have a successful season. And it doesn't matter if you're a total beginner or you've been beekeeping, for a number of years. It's always worth having a look at how you're doing things and seeing if you can improve a little in one or two areas that might make all the difference. Now I did waffle on a little about my past and how I got into beekeeping and the story of the journey as it's been so far but I won't bore you with that again because I think most of you have heard those tales. You won't be surprised to hear that my starting point was to suggest to everyone that they should have a plan. You're never going to achieve anything of substance without some kind of direction and a plan does help focus the mind. But each of us will have different needs and different ideas about what we want to achieve with our beekeeping season and so this is a very personal and specific plan. It might be that you're planning to increase colony numbers possibly in a significant way as we are planning this season or it might be just one or two colonies increase is all that you want. Both approaches are perfectly fine. You don't have to go for an increase every year. You might just want a couple of colonies. That's fine. You might be perfectly happy with the number of colonies that you have, but just feel you could benefit from replacing some queens by rearing your own. If you've not done this before, it can seem a bit daunting, but actually it's really not that hard. Maybe tackling a pest or disease issue is something that you really want to focus on through this season, perhaps creating an integrated pest management system for yourself. One of the regular comments I hear from some beekeepers is that they'd just like to have some honey from their hive because after several years of keeping bees they're still waiting to be able to take anything off at all. So that was our starting point this week. A range of questions and suggested plans for getting the season off to a flying start but in reality the season this year is very much dependent on what happened in the autumn of last year. That's where this season can be hugely affected either positively or negatively. Getting treatments on colonies or not depending on if that's what you do as a beekeeper. Making sure that colonies have sufficient food stores for the winter. And protecting them from pests such as mice and woodpeckers. This all goes towards making sure your colonies are in prime condition in the spring, ready to get going. It's also important to remember that these plans we all make need to be fluid, adaptable. To give an example, you might want to make an early split in the spring to increase a couple of colonies. But if those colonies have come through the winter months and are quite small, it could do more damage than good to try to force them into a split too early in the spring. Better to change your plans, wait until later in the spring or early summer until they've had a chance to build up some more and not be so badly affected by suddenly find themselves being divided between two nuke boxes. Both of those nukes could end up being severely delayed in getting started and growing, thus losing any chance of a crop of honey for this season. As my talk progressed, I talked about simple ways to maintain or increase colonies. Here, the number one challenge for beekeepers is the prevention of swarming, I would suggest. If you can hang on to what you've got, your season will be all the better for it. Lose a swarm and you're really going to struggle to maximise any crop of honey. You won't lose it all, but it will be severely reduced. It's important to say also that swarm prevention isn't some dark art that you need decades of practice with, it can be as simple or as complicated as you want to make it. However you're managing this situation, I find it's always good to think of the colony as having three core components, the queen, the brood and the flying bees. Thought of like this, I think the whole process becomes a lot easier. Fundamentally, removing one element from the other two will in most cases prevent swarming, As usual, I like to put several caveats in place, but if you're looking to set up an artificial swarm or any form of split, I strongly advise removing all except one queen cell. Two or more, and you're likely to lose a swarm. I know because I've missed queen cells before, thinking I'm leaving just one, and they get away from me. If you're looking to increase colony numbers instead of maintaining the numbers you have, then the use of the Two nukes from one parent colony method can work really well. It's one that I've successfully used for a number of seasons now, and although you have to keep a close eye on how the nukes balance with flying bees when you first set it up, for the most part it works really nicely. The huge benefit is that you can make two nukes from that one parent colony and still get a honey crop, albeit a reduced honey crop, or You can continue taking nukes through spring and into summer and end up with multiple nukes from that one original hive. This takes me back to my regular mantra for you all of making sure that you have enough resources for any planned splits, artificial swarms, demaree techniques, or any other manipulation that you have for your bees. All of these methods are only really successful if you have plenty of bees and plenty of food. Of course, sometimes. Despite our best efforts colonies can still get away from us and swarm. If you're lucky you'll get a call telling you of a swarm that settled somewhere ready for you to collect or you might happen to pop into your apiary just after a swarm has left your hive and settled somewhere close nearby. Hopefully you'll get a prime swarm. This is the first one to leave the colony, the biggest swarm and the one that you really want to track down. These are almost super colonies in their own right. Get one of these and they'll draw a brood box of foundation in a week and easily supply you with a couple of supers of honey. Alternatively, find yourself a fourth or fifth cast swarm and you'll probably fit it into a tea mug and waste precious time, effort and money trying to nurse them into a large enough colony just to overwinter. The nice thing about swarming is that if your bees do swarm, you can proudly proclaim that you're a queen rearer. After all, the first thing that they'll do in preparation to swarm is start making up queen cells. Simply harvest some of these and make up some queenless nukes to pop them into. If you want to move on to more controlled queen rearing techniques, well, there are as many different ways to raise queens as there are beekeepers probably. One of the first methods I tried my hand at was the Miller method. This is a very straightforward method of queen rearing where you remove a frame of eggs and very young larvae from the donor colony. That's simply a colony that you like the traits of, maybe they're super calm or very productive to name just two. The trick with this method is if you can plan ahead you should pop a frame with unwired foundation into your donor hive and let the bees draw that and then have the queen lay into those cells. The reason for this is the method requires you to cut a series of zigzag lines into the foundation and remove the bottom section. When this frame is placed into a hopelessly queenless colony, the workers will produce queen cells from that exposed cut edge, making it easier for the beekeeper to cut them away and place into queenless nukes. A better option for me personally is the alley method. I much prefer this option. It differs in that you cut horizontal strips from a brood frame containing those eggs and very young larvae and fix this to a brood frame so that when placed into a queenless colony the cells point downwards. It also allows for a second strip to be cut and attached to a wooden strip that can be fitted halfway down the same brood frame, effectively doubling up the number of queen cells that can be produced. I've had a lot of success using this method and it's a nice way of raising queens as you don't need a lot of new equipment. As I said there are of course lots of ways to raise queens but the most important thing to remember is just to give it a go. If you've not tried it before I think you'll be surprised at just how simple it can be. The only thing you really need to do is plan it. Make sure you know the timelines for queen rearing and have enough equipment ready for when those queen cells need to go into nukes or queenless colonies. I'll talk some more about queen rearing as we get into the beekeeping season, but if you have a couple of spare nuke boxes, simply wait for your colony to produce some swarm cells, take them out, pop them into the nukes with some bees, and that's job done. And that was just about all I had time for in my talk this week, and I think it went down quite well. Well that's it for this 200th episode of my podcast so I think I should go make some more sacrifices to the weather gods and maybe this week they'll listen to me. I'll catch up with you all again next time and remember I'm Stuart Spinks, and that was beekeeping short and sweet.